So, um, well, this morning I am continuing this message series in the book of Matthew. And uh, it's interesting, this is actually the second time I've preached this message. I had a little uh, COVID scare this week, and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to be here today. Thankfully, I'm healthy and testing negative, and so all that fun stuff. Uh, I preached to the first time to a video camera. That was not nearly as exciting as it is this morning being with all of you, and I'm glad that I actually get to share this message in person. This is actually one of my favorite chapters in Matthew. I was going to be so bummed if I had to miss this Sunday, uh, but we are in Matthew chapter 13 this morning, so if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, um, we'll, we can have the, the lyrics on this, or not the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> kind of lyrics, <laughs> the scripture verses on the screen as well. Uh, but uh, if you don't own a Bible this morning, those Bibles in the seat pockets, they are free to take. If you know somebody that needs a Bible, take one of those for them. Uh, we would be happy to replace it if we know that it's getting in the hands of somebody who will use it, who will read God's word. So um, we want you to know that those are accessible. Um, now, uh, this morning, I want to talk about one of Jesus' greatest and most well-known parables. And in fact, it's the first parable in a series of parables that Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of God. And this parable, in some ways, is kind of the key to unlock and interpret the rest of the parables that follow. It's, it's really important. It's really significant. And it really teaches us a lot about the mission that Jesus had yet to even give his disciples, but that he eventually would call them to fulfill. And that's the message of spreading the gospel of Christ. And he uses this parable of sowing seeds into different areas and the different soils affecting the outcome or the, the lifespan of that seed. And it's, it's, a, it's a really incredible truth. And Jesus used these parables a lot. He taught in parables a lot. And the word parable in, uh, actually means to cast alongside of. So another way to think about this is um, Jesus was telling something that is known and casting it alongside of something that is unknown to give understanding to that particular thing. So maybe to take something physical like the planting and sowing of seeds and laying it alongside something spiritual, the harvesting of souls in the kingdom of God to help us understand what that means. Now, before we jump into the, the passage this morning, I want to ask you the question, have you ever wondered why so many people followed Jesus around? Now, I am not sure, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not sure that if Jesus were on the earth today, that people would follow him around like they did back then. Um, because our culture is a lot different today in that we don't necessarily go out and find people and follow them around physically. We'd rather just follow them on Instagram, right? Or, or, or find some other way to, to get our news, our information. There's so many avenues and, and uh, areas that, that we can get entertainment from today that they just didn't have back then. So maybe Jesus would use TikTok or Instagram today. I don't know. Um, but as for people in the first century in Israel, they didn't have TV. They didn't have social media. In fact, they didn't even have a lot of the things that the, the neighboring countries had. Like the Greeks had theater and, the, and sports and the Romans had the Colosseum. But the entertainment in the Jewish culture was primarily 
storytelling. And in fact, families would sit down together in the evening, and instead of watching TV like maybe they would do when I was growing up, or I don't even know what families do anymore, um, but they would tell stories, and often the patriarch of the family would gather everyone around, and they would get together, and he would tell these stories. And, and the thing that we know about Jesus from Scripture is that he was a master storyteller, that he told stories not just to entertain, but to teach important spiritual truths. And the reality is people came out in massive crowds to hear what he had to say. Everyone wanted to listen to Jesus to the point where they would crowd in on him. And in our story today, Jesus got up early in the morning and he went out to sit on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now that sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? I, I, recently I was down in Mexico and um, now, I, I tend to be an early riser. We would get up early in the morning and go take a walk on the beach and get some coffee and sit down on a chair and just listen to the ocean. And it was just a beautiful, incredible moment. Well, for Jesus, life was never that pleasant. You know why? Because the moment he went outside, the moment he sat down, people would be like, there's Jesus. Let's go hear what he has to say. And after a few minutes of sitting on that shore, maybe a moment of peace, all of a sudden, he's surrounded by these people, and they're crowding in on him, and they're getting closer and closer and closer. And what he does in this story today is an incredibly smart thing. He actually gets on a boat and pushes out just a little ways from shore so he can have a little bit of breathing room, and then people would gather around the beach to listen to him teach. And that this shoreline would create a natural amphitheater so that they could hear what he had to say and that he would have enough space so that he could actually teach the people. And uh, some of you are thinking, what Jesus went through every day of his life, if you're an introvert, this is probably a nightmare for you, right? Like people crowding around me all the time. Can you imagine how exhausting it would have been for Jesus to constantly be on, to constantly be surrounded by people and them always wanting something from you, whether it's your teaching, whether it's performing of miracles, whatever it might be, they, they want more and more from you all the time. But Jesus never failed to give people an incredible experience. He cared about people and loved people so much that he put up with a lot of garbage to give them an opportunity to hear the truth of the kingdom of God, even though most people wouldn't understand it or reject it. Um, now, I get a little bit frustrated today when some people are critical about church. Uh, they, they say things like, we don't, why do we need a band? Or like, why do we need lights on the stage or video screens or or worst of all, why do pastors try to tell jokes? They're not even funny. <laughs> like, why can't you just preach the gospel? It's all just a big show. Now, I, I think we can go too far, right? We can make church all about entertainment, and I don't think that's a good thing either. But I believe that coming to church should be an enjoyable experience. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> like, I, I, Jesus... E said even if they don't fully understand or believe, he still taught in a way that was creative and that was interesting and that kept people 
engaged. And I think it's wrong to take something as incredible as the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that's ever been given to humanity, and turn it into something boring, right? Um, So much of what Jesus said was probably received by most of those people as, I'm not so sure about that, or I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's interesting, and well, maybe I'd like to know a little bit more. Now, we'll come back to that, but let's get into the text this morning, and um, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, and we'll start reading at verse 1. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, and so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, the story kind of stops there. And this is, as I said, the first parable in a series of parables about the kingdom of God. Now, the way that I read it... um, Matthew does something with his gospel here. He kind of takes things out of order because he wants to put the explanation next to the parable. But from what I read, it looks like Jesus just moved on to the next parable and um, didn't take a break at this point. And it's kind of mean what he did there. He gave this parable, this interesting story, but then he didn't give anybody the key to understanding it. He didn't explain it to everyone. Have you ever seen the movie Mission Impossible, the one with Tom Cruise, the original, not the 47 sequels that, that came afterwards? Uh, it's a great movie. It's, it's one of my favorites. It came out when I was in high school, so you can do the math if you want. It's, it's 25 years old. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you have not seen it yet, I'm going to spoil it this morning. I'm sorry, but it, it is 25 years old, so you need to get out, all right? <laughs> like, if you haven't seen it yet... Sorry. All right. Um, Now, the way that this works is there's this mystery. They're betrayed at the beginning. Their mission goes all wrong, and they can't figure out why, but what they assume is that someone had betrayed them. And right towards the end of the movie, it's revealed that Jim and Claire Phelps are bad, right? Uh, And everything else clicks in his mind at that moment. It makes sense. It falls into place. (laughs) Now imagine for a second if the movie ended without them revealing who the traitor was and not having that information. Like they just left it with Ethan Hunt not knowing what went wrong. Well, that is exactly what Jesus does (laughs) with this parable. Let's just keep reading. It goes on to say in verse 10, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? 
And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets and the kingdoms of, kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see... And your ears, for they hear. Now Jesus is saying the truth is right in front of them, but they refuse to see it. In other words, I could explain it to them, but they still wouldn't get it. Now I think part of this is timing. Jesus is not ready to publicly reveal who he is and his mission to everyone yet. He still has a lot of ministry to do before his time comes to die on the cross. And so he's speaking in code now. And he's only revealing a part of that truth and only revealing to a select few the whole truth because people aren't ready for that full truth yet. Then he goes on to explain the parable to his disciples. And let's pick it up in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So there are four hearts that I want to talk about this morning. And, and when I say hearts, that's the soil that Jesus is describing here. He's using soil to describe four different hearts. That when they hear the message of the gospel, that's the seed is the word of God that's sown into one's heart, what happens to it. And, and different people have different hearts. And let's call this first soil the hard heart. Now, this is probably the majority of people that we interact with. Um, almost everyone in our like, local community here um, in, in this city and even in, a, in our state or in our country has had some exposure to the gospel. Right? Most have heard the message before to some extent, but for whatever reason, the truth of the message of Jesus has not sunk in yet. They've heard the truth, but because of stubbornness or ignorance or lack of understanding, they fail to grasp it. Now, I have a friend who's in this boat. I was just talking to him the other day. Um, we talk, we've talked about Jesus before. He just is not interested. I try to bring up the subject, and I'm immediately kind of shut down. He say, I just, I just don't want to go there. He thinks that Jesus can't possibly be God, and that people who accept this religion, or frankly any religion, are foolish. It's hard because there's nothing I can say to convince him. I can't um, you know, lay out a formula and somehow manipulate him into understanding what I'm saying, I just have to pray, let the Holy Spirit work on his heart. Now, can I encourage you with something this morning? Don't give up on hard-hearted people. 
I mean, frankly, if I'm looking around this room right now, there are probably a good number of people that would say, yeah, that was me. Like, I was hard-hearted. I was stubborn. I didn't want to hear anything about it. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit did his work in my heart, it wasn't until he changed who I was and how I thought that I was even willing to hear the message of the gospel. Be patient and pray and keep praying. And keep praying some more. Um, in fact, the, the best example of a hard-hearted person in Scripture that I can think of is this guy named Saul of Tarsus. Now, if you've never heard that name before and you don't recognize it, that's because this guy got a name change when he came to Christ. He's known better today as the Apostle Paul. He wrote a good chunk of the New Testament more books of the Bible than any other person. He was so hard-hearted and so stubborn that his mission on this earth was to kill people who professed faith in Jesus Christ. He traveled around from city to city leading the persecution of the church of Christ. And God so violently interrupted his reality on the road to Damascus, knocked him off his horse, blinded him with this light, and spoke to him from heaven itself to get his attention. Now, if God can take somebody that stubborn and that ignorant and that hard-hearted, how much more can he do the same for your friend or your family member that isn't hearing, that isn't seeing, that isn't understanding? Keep praying. Keep believing that God will get a hold of them. Jeremiah 23, 29 says this about the word of God. This is so cool. Verse 29, it says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. Keep declaring the word of the Lord. You know, I've heard this analogy, and I've shared this analogy before, but if you have a rock and you're hitting it with a hammer and you hit it over and over and over again, eventually that hammer breaks. Which blow broke the rock? Was it the last one? No, every single blow had an impact on that rock. And without the 23rd or, or the 67th blow, that final blow would not have broken that rock, right? So in the same way, when you're sharing the gospel with someone and they keep rejecting you over and over again, think of it that way. It's just another tap on the rock. Eventually, the word of God is going to do its thing and it's going to break through. And it's going to be a victory, and it's going to be an incredible thing. But we need to keep persistent, not give up, to be faithful in continuing to speak the word of God, continuing to sow seeds into their life, because we never know when it will take root. Let's keep reading the next heart, Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls, falls away. This is the shallow heart. This is the person who is all in with their faith, right? They make a decision for Christ. They have this huge emotional response. They're excited. They're quick to respond. But the reality is these people are genuinely quick to respond to anything. 
They're the type of people that have gym equipment in their basement that they use for a laundry rack. Because I need that thing because if I get that bike, if I get that exercise bike, I will transform my fitness. And they ride it for three days and they're like, this is kind of a lot of work. And so then they start to hang clothes on it, right? They've tried every fad diet, right? They even have a timeshare in Manitoba that they were desperate to have in the moment and now they're desperate to get rid of, right? They sign up for things without counting the cost and the moment that adversity comes, they pull away. Yes, I love Jesus and I love my church. Wait, what's this tithing thing about? Uh, you know what? I'm still paying for my Peloton bike. <laughs> it's like when you shake up a can of soda and you open it up and the fizz comes flying out and it just, it's an explosion at first. And then what you're left with is a can of flat soda afterwards. Right? So many people that are in this boat, they hear something and it connects. They know it's right. They know it's true. But the moment that it costs them something reminds me of the, the young man that came to Jesus and said, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Uh, you know what? I'll get back to you on that one, right? Isn't that how we respond to God sometimes? We want the benefit of being a believer in Christ. We know that there's something there for us, but we don't want it to cost us anything. And Jesus says the process of following Christ means daily picking up your cross and following him. It's, it's not always easy. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it costs us a great deal. You might be excited about your faith right now. Some of you might be in this phase. And you're excited for the moment, but you're not sure that you're truly willing to surrender your whole life. Can I tell you something? It's worth it. It's worth it. Whatever you lose, it's worth it compared to what we gain in Christ. And you have people in your life that, that will maybe respond that way. You know how the transformation truly happens? It's with patience and mentorship. Right? They need somebody to come alongside them and teach them what it means to be a follower of Christ. Some of you were like that, right? Flighty, until somebody came alongside you and showed you what it meant to be consistent. And there are people in your life that need that from you. They need you to come alongside them. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns... This is the one who hears the word, but care, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is the crowded heart. Now, I know that all of the seeds that fail to grow are tragedies, but as a pastor, this is, this is the one that's the hardest for me. These are the people that have too much of Jesus to think that the world has everything that they need, but they have too much of the world to be satisfied with only Jesus. I've seen so many people who have had a real encounter with God. They 
prayed a prayer to ask Jesus to come into their heart, but they haven't fully committed to the genuine repentance that comes from true faith in Christ. They understand in part, but they don't truly get it. And the enemy uses their lack of belief and probably the fear of what they might be missing to pull them back into their old life. I've seen so many people that have come to church that have started changing their old behavior, but something from their past gets the hook and pulls them back into it. You know, here's, here's the hardest part of this reality. Even Christians who've been following Jesus for years are at risk of this corruption, right? We have to be diligent in guarding our heart against the things of this world. There are a list of things that are actively trying to crowd Christ out from your life. Right? They could be money. Like, in fact, that's one of the things that Jesus mentioned, right? That's a trap. It could be money. Maybe it's easy to follow Christ when you don't have any money and God blesses you. And now that you do, you're like, I don't really need God anymore. Right? Or maybe it's um, entertainment or fame or sex or politics. Let me say that one again. Politics. Okay, right? Like, I, this is... The moment something becomes more important than your relationship with Christ, you're in danger of losing it. Now there's one more type of soil in verse 23. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold in another 60, and in another 30. This is the fruitful heart. So what does that mean for us as believers? As a healthy believer, what is our responsibility? I prayed about it, and I want to leave you with these three things that if you are in this category, that your faith is real, and that you're following Christ, there are three things that you should represent in your life. First of all, you need to bear fruit. Now, what is fruit? What does that look like in the life of the believer? Well, it kind of spells it out for us in Scripture. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians tells us that the fruit of a spirit-filled life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you are those things all the time and you absolutely get that right 100% of the time, then you are living a fruitful life. The rest of you, uh, no, that's fortunately, that is not the standard that God requires of us, right? We still are battling against our flesh. We're still in that that um, you know, process of sanctification in our life. And fortunately for us, it's God's righteousness that saves us. So we don't have to be perfect, but we should be representing those things in our life. As God transforms us, our life should look more like Christ. And so we should be more loving 
And we should be more patient with people. We should be able to go through hard things and have joy in the midst of those circumstances because our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. We should have peace in tragedy or in hardship. When things are difficult, we should be comforted. We should have rest. That doesn't mean that we don't experience hardship and we don't struggle with things anymore, but we shouldn't be just like the world around us. There should be differentiation. There should be separation. In fact, people should recognize that something about you is different. When they look at you, do they see Christ in your life or do you look just like everybody else? If you don't show the life of Christ, maybe it's time to repent and start asking God to change you. Now, this word repentance in scripture means to change your mind, right? The the Greek word is metanoia. It literally means to change your mind. So it means stop thinking like you used to before you knew Christ and start thinking like a believer who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if you change your mind, right, you change the way that you think, then your behavior is going to follow as well. It's not just feeling sorry for your sin, right? It's not just feeling bad about doing something wrong. You can feel bad about something and then turn around five minutes later, and because you're still selfish and you're still living for yourself, you're going to do it all over again. But repentance is saying, God, I don't want to stay the way that I was. I want you to change me. Help me to think differently so that I can behave differently as well. We need to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Second thing is we need to reproduce. Now, when I read this, that, this description of healthy soil, I see the plant that produces 30-fold, the plant that produces 60-fold, and even a plant that produces 100-fold. You know what I don't see? The plant that doesn't reproduce at all. What does reproduction look like as a Christian? Well, in order to make more plants, you have to sow more seed. And we know that the seed is the word of God. So if we're not sharing the word of God with anyone around us, how can we expect to reproduce anything, right? In fact, scripture even tells us the one that sows sparingly will reap sparingly. If you don't sow at all, how are you going to reap anything at all, right? This is the responsibility of every believer to share Christ with the world around us, to share the gospel message with the world around us. You are not responsible, however, for that plant to grow. That's, that's where like, the burden is lifted. It's not like you're responsible. Like, if you don't do it right, if you mess it up, if you don't say the right words, then the plant's not going to grow, and then God's going to be angry with you. It doesn't work that way. You're not responsible for growing. You're responsible for sowing seed. God's the one that makes the plant grow. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that that draws us to him. But we are responsible for sharing that message with others. If you aren't doing that, then how can you say that you're a healthy believer? There's no opportunity for for God to to reproduce you through the the sowing of seeds. Then are you living the, the life that God has called you to? third thing is that we need to prepare the soil. Now, there are lots of applications that we could talk about here in, in the relationships that we have with other people. 
Um, but, uh, you know, we just had a, a parenting conference uh, yesterday, and we had an amazing time, and it was a great week. And, and before I forget, I want to say thank you to every volunteer who helped with that and, and made that an incredible day. Um, so thank you so much for those who served in, at, in taking care of the kids and helped serve the lunch and served as mentor couples at, at, at the tables. Um, that investment was incredible, and we greatly appreciate it. So thank you for your help with that and your participation, your investment in, in this generation that's raising kids right now. Um, but I want to talk to parents real quick this morning. Um, listen, you cannot make your child believe. Right? You can't impart your faith into your child. Some of you in this room have raised kids, watched them grow up, and seen them reject faith in Christ, and that's a painful thing. That's hard, but you can't make them believe. But you can till the soil. You can prepare the ground. Um, another pastor, Matt Chandler, said it this way. When it comes to your child's faith, only God can light the fire. But we as parents can do everything in our power to arrange the kindling as best we can. So that when that spark comes, it's, there's a receptive place for that fire to catch. And I believe that one of our greatest responsibilities here on this earth is to give our kids every possible opportunity to be ready when that moment, when they, when it comes to um, that moment where, where the Holy Spirit is drawing them, that their heart is ready to receive it. We need to be talking about our faith. We need to be demonstrating what it means to be a follower of Christ. Listen, if, if your spiritual development for your children, if the only thing that you're doing is bringing them to church once a week, we, we need to do more, right? God has entrusted you with their life. So let's do everything that we can. We're living for eternity here, right? This isn't just... You know, I mean, it's, it's great if, if they get on the best team and they do well in school and, and, and we invest so much into those things. But what are we doing in investing in their eternity? Right? This is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. And sometimes we get those roles reversed and we spend so much time emphasizing what's important to this world that we miss the most important thing. Let's do everything in our power. And for those of you who are past that stage or maybe not to that stage yet, there are people in your life as well that you can till the soil, right? You can begin to have conversations with. You can be an example of who Christ is by just showing love to people around you. That's tilling the soil. That's preparing the ground. Because someday they're going to hear, and it's a question of will their heart be ready to receive that word. I'm so grateful 
that God has entrusted us with this responsibility. That we as the church have been given the responsibility to sow this seed of the gospel message around the world. What an incredible responsibility and an incredible privilege to be a part of that. Let's take it seriously. Listen, Satan isn't messing around, right? He's doing everything that he can to lie to people, to deceive them. And so we need to be diligent in what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this word, for this incredible truth. Lord, we thank you for the people in our lives that, that uh, you have given us uh, influence with, Lord, and you've given us the ability to um, impact them and share your love with them. Lord, help us to be faithful in sowing seed. Lord, uh, we just, we lift up the hard-hearted and the shallow-hearted and the crowded hearts in our lives, Lord, the people that are, that are struggling with these decisions, wrestling with the question of, of what do I believe and, and um, what am I placing my faith in. Lord, give us boldness to share the truth. Lord, help us to trust you with the results. Lord, we, we thank you today that you are good. We thank you that you stay the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that we can depend on you. That even though our world is constantly changing, that you never change. So Lord, we give you praise today for who you are. Lord, help us to be faithful with everything that you called us to do. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. And God bless.